This episode is sponsored by Virtual High School and Virtual Elementary School. Virtual High School is a fully online private school inspected by the Ontario Ministry of Education. They offer self-paced courses that prepare students for post-secondary success. VHS students choose when and where to study, when to submit assessments, and when to write their online final exam. That's why VHS has had over 65,000 enrollments since virtual high school was established and why post-secondary institutions around the world continue to recommend VHS to their incoming students who need a specific credit. Virtual high school helps more than 8,000 students meet their academic goals every year with certified teachers, free on-demand tutoring, dedicated support teams, and an outstanding administrative staff, VHS stays focused on delivering the best in online secondary education. For families with younger children, there's also virtual elementary school. Families and students can register for a course and work independently, or they can register for a course with the added support of a certified teacher. Elementary school courses can streamline home learning programs and are a great way for homeschool curious families to try out home learning. So for more information about virtual high school and virtual elementary school, go to virtualhighschool.com or virtualelementaryschool.com and we'll be sure to link to those over at the show notes too at thehomeschoolsisters.com. Hi there and welcome to the Homeschool Sisters podcast. I'm Kate. And I'm Kara, and we're two homeschooling moms doing this homeschooling thing right beside you. We don't have it all figured out, but one thing we know for sure is that homeschooling is a lot easier when you have a sister by your side. Hey, Kate. Hey, Kara. How are you? I am so good. I'm <laughs> this episode. I wasn't good before, and now I'm good. <laughs> you know what? It's like... It's like a sense of um, actually doing, completing something. There's so much that has felt just really like kind of undone and all over the place. And it's like, wow, we, this was sort of a big thing for us. We've been really wanting to get Kim John Payne on the podcast for a while because he influenced us so much. Um, Kim John Payne is the author of Simplicity Parenting and lots of other books and we're just thrilled to have him here for the last show of the season. Kim is a consultant and trainer to more than 230 U.S. independent and public schools. He has been a school counselor, adult educator, consultant, researcher, educator, and a private family counselor for 27 years. He regularly gives keynote addresses at international conferences for educators, parents, and therapists, and run workshops and trainings around the world. Like I said, he's the author of the number one bestseller, Simplicity Parenting, Using the Extraordinary Power of Less to Raise Calmer, Happier, and More Secure Kids. He has also authored The Games Children Play, The Soul of Discipline. He co-authored Whole Child Sport, How to Navigate Child and Youth Sports, and Being at Your Best, this is the new one, and Being at Your Best When Your Kids Are at Their Worst. And we will link to all of those over at the show notes at thehomeschoolsisters.com. Kim mentions a lot of great resources, including a specific uh, parenting through this COVID crisis podcast that he's put together. So we'll make sure to link to that. And we're so excited to have him with us today to talk about living and homeschooling simply with our kids. So yeah, it's like, wow, okay, whew, we, we, we did that. And now it's okay if we take a little break. <laughs> 
<laughs> we put in some extra episodes um, this year, and we've gotten to a point where we think it's just time to uh, take a little sabbatical, deep breath. Um, so this is going to be our last episode of the season. And before anybody panics about poolside professional development. We have we, a plan. Yeah, we have a plan. Don't worry. <laughs> so um, normally we have, well, we have what, three poolside professional development episodes? I think at least three. Yeah. And we'll link Sounds to those right. in the show notes for this episode. So you can go back and listen to them. But neither one of us is in a mindset of pools and professional development right now and we just felt like it no. wouldn't be very authentic if we tried to make up a list of books <laughs> to go um, sit in our imaginary pools <laughs> yeah it just didn't feel right you guys get it right um yeah they get yeah. it yeah so right instead our plan is we're going to share um a few books that are just our favorites and i feel like um if people read those this summer it will be helpful and um but no pressure to read them by a pool or to read them all or to read any because I think all of us just kind of need this summer to um, restore a little bit. It's actually a lot of what we're talking about in the episode. Exactly. I was going to say if there's any book from the list that you read this summer, I think this should be the one. Yeah. It's the one I read it at least every summer. Yeah. And usually, again, during the year, whenever I start to feel a little off, it's such a good reset. And I think it would be soul soothing right now with what everybody's going through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you feel like, wow, we're not doing much and everything is so bare bones and we're just, you know, you're going to hear why that's actually got a lot of benefits for your kids. Um, this slowing down, this forced slowdown, like... I feel like this is this episode, this talk made me feel like um, made me see it as a good thing again. Um, right. Obviously, not that people are ill. Obviously, not that people are. I mean, there's a lot of negative things. Let's let's just be honest. Like, right. and I'm not trying to pretend like this episode is you know like oh you're gonna, gonna everything's all better <laughs> and it's gonna solve all your worries and you're very real fear and frustration and confusion and all those things. So please don't think that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is it made me see a bright little spot, you know, a rainbow in the cloud. Yeah. Yeah. Amidst everything again. And cause I was kind of getting to a place where I was focusing a lot on the bad stuff. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, it's easy to do right now. I think. I hope that makes sense. This is another reason why we're done podcasting because we're just because <laughs> the words are hard. We're just tired. Um yeah. it, and it seems like the world has gotten a little um weary. Yeah, and so we just we're ready to just wrap things up, but I think we're going out with Oh my gosh. A lot of positivity, a lot of brightness. It's like a dream come true talking to him. Yeah. Honestly. Especially when he called himself Uncle Kim. It was oh like, my gosh. oh my goodness. Because we explained, you know, we're not biological sisters and that we just are connected through. I, I think a lot of it was like similar parenting philosophies and learning mm -hmm. philosophies and everything else. And oh my gosh. He asks us a question about like how, what we've needed for our work and it all like comes full circle. Man, it's just really like. Yeah, it was, yeah. 
we feel like we can't do much better than this right now. <laughs> and I mean that in two ways. I mean it in like, we can't do much better than this. We need to be done. But also like, it's just a really good, positive conversation. Yeah. And such. He not only has he researched this, but he's lived it yeah. parenting his own children. So it's really nice to have the perspective of someone who's coming out on the other side of all these, you know, long days that we put in that yeah. has the hindsight that what yeah. we're doing is okay and it's important and it's good mm-hmm. and it's yeah. going to be worth it. And we should mention that they homeschooled for six years. So he's got that perspective as well as just a um, approach to parenting that is, you know, like he said, it's, it's weird that it's countercultural to want to give our kids a childhood, but that's, that's where we are. Um, and the undeclared war on childhood. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. So what do you think? Should we just jump in and uh, share our call? Okay, you guys, um, we'll be back in the fall. We will see you soon. We'll still be over on Instagram uh, saying hi, and we'll still be doing our regular things that we do individually. And um, yeah, and but we'll just we'll just be away from podcasting for a little while so that we can rest, restore and bring you guys really good episodes again soon. So, all right, Uh, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Kim. Hello. Oh, uh... Oh, thank you so much for being here. We are very excited to talk to you. Um, We I don't know if you know this or not. Kate and I are not actually sisters. We are um, (laughs) just sisters of the soul. So um, one of the ways that we bonded was over a mutual affection for your book, Simplicity Parenting. So we are just thrilled to get to meet you and chat with you today. Oh, I could I could be Uncle Kim in that case. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That's wonderful. Yes. Um, so can you start out by telling us a little bit about you and your family and the work that you do? Oh, yeah. You know, uh, I have two children. Uh, one is a, one of those seniors at the moment, one of those amazing group of kids that were born right around 9-11 in that crisis. And now they're graduating right in this COVID crisis. It's quite a thing. It's quite a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, we homeschooled for six or more years and just completely loved it. Um, we live on a farm up in the mountains of New England and love that too. So social distancing for us is just otherwise known as farming, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing much has changed, to be honest. That You know, given the tragedy of our time and those experiencing tragedy for us, it's just life a little bit as as normal. Um, yeah, I've, uh, I travel a lot, work uh, in schools, um, big schools and little schools. I often think of homeschooling as a little school, um, but big schools and little schools. And um, write. Uh, I love to write. I'm a professor at a university. And um, I guess being a dad is the biggest qualification, right? It, it really is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's the hardest job. And the biggest qualification, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Could you tell us a little bit about how you got started studying simplicity and what the journey was like in your home? 
Yeah, the um, the journey for me began way back, but boy, did it ever intensify when I had my own kids. But the journey began for me with other children when I was working in a group home for teenagers for very, very troubled and, and abused teenagers. And I was attending lectures um, by a wonderful professor who was talking about what we now know as post-traumatic stress disorder. He was talking about kids who are nervous, jumpy, hypervigilant, over-controlling. And as he was talking about um, combat veterans that weren't doing so well, I was thinking, gosh, that's just like the kids in my group home. I was thinking of Warren and Mitch and Debbie and Sarah, and yet he was talking about combat veterans. So I spoke to him, and um, he was very, very interested in the fact that it didn't only have to be combat veterans. This was this was back in, in the early 80s. And then when I finished up my uh, training, I, I volunteered in various combat um, sites, actually, um, in and various war-torn areas in Southeast Asia. And there again, I saw nervous, jumpy, hypervigilant, over-controlling kids, um, kids who were really, um, when they would play together, a lot of conflict, that they were all trying to over-control things. Um, very hyper-vigilant. These kids didn't sit in a room. They scanned a room. You know, there was that kind of thing. And um, so I noticed that a lot. I worked from in the Thai Cambodian refugee camps all the way down uh, through Southeast Asia. At the time, it was a very troubled area. Um, and I decided to study it some more, so I did some postgrad study uh, in the UK and had a little counselling practice. And then through the door came nervous, jumpy, hyper-controlling, <clears throat> the very same children that that <clears throat> they looked like wartime kids, but they um, were from fairly typical families, mixed cultural uh, backgrounds, mixed economic backgrounds. And it was, um, it was a very significant and, and somewhat disturbing puzzle, you know, because I thought I'd left wartime kids in trauma behind, and yet here I was seeing it again. And so for me, it set, that's, you know, that question, Kate, is, is that set the course. I had to try and figure it out. I just said, like, something really not okay is going on here. And um, that sort of set that path. Um and what I came to realize is that because I'd visit their homes um, at the time, I'm one of, like you guys probably, I'm one of these lifelong learners. So I was doing postgrad work, but I also was training to be a kindergarten teacher because I've always had this closeted wish to be a kindergarten teacher. <laughs> and so I was doing like postgraduate studies at a, at a fancy university, but, but I was also studying to be a Waldorf kindergarten teacher at the same time. As well as having my own private practice, you get you get the picture. Right? <laughs> Many in other words, Yeah, in other words, I was just practicing to become a parent. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I didn't have my own kids, right? And so, um, the uh, in this little practice I, I I had, I started understanding that stress didn't have to be these great big traumatic events. It could be cumulative, and it could build up over time. And I'd spend hours in libraries looking through microfish. Do you remember microfish? Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you guys are older. <laughs> so I'd, I'd be looking at all these files and um, trying to figure this out. And I basically came to the conclusion that stress could be cumulative. Um, but the problem was 
is that there was a new normal of acceptance of stress that is that the children weren't coping with. They just simply their systems, their nervous systems weren't coping with it. That they were, they were there was just too much, too soon, too sexy, too young, just too much. There was just an overwhelm going on. Uh, but it had become ubiquitous. Do you know that feeling of like, like if I look around, my neighbors are all doing this, you know, like it's right. got to be okay. But yeah. it really was creating kids who were highly stressed and looked just like the kids in Cambodia. And I came to think of it as the undeclared war on childhood. There was just an, straight up, there was just an undeclared war on childhood going on. At least the kids in Cambodia were living through a declared war that one day was going to end, and it did. But our war, the undeclared war on childhood, hasn't ended. It's escalated. Yeah. It's and this was because this was even before iPads and iPhones, and it's really escalated. So that's that's the long answer. Sorry, that's it. Was a really good question, Kate. So it's your fault that it's so long to answer. Um, but it, but it, <laughs> but it. Um, but that set me on a course of just saying, well, what about if we took away? We what about if we unstressed these kids as much as possible? So I started working with that, and mum after mum, dad after dad would say, I feel like I've got my little kid back. I feel like I've got my child back. As we dialed back the amount of stress in the children's lives, which had become you know normalised, as we dialed that back the children's quirky little selves would emerge again. They weren't so hard to parent. They didn't push back so hard. They didn't have all the problems with ADD, ODD, OCD, PDD. There's no shortage of Ds, right? But the, but the, um, they would start to become their own little quirky self. And what was thrilling was that not only did, were they, did they no longer exhibit hyperactivity or opposition defiance or obsessive compulsive, all this sort of stuff, um, they actually not just were quirky, their gifts started becoming obvious. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, as we unstress children, they become quirky, which makes them so lovable and kind of infuriating right yeah. but but you know it's the same thing but Absolutely. Actually, yeah but their gift started coming out like the child who was add like hyperactive is just a busy child but their but their gift is that they're movers and shakers only now they have a sense of timing and, and consideration for others the child who is oppositional is just a feisty child but their gift is that they'll stand up for the week. They'll stand up and they won't back down. It's beautiful. The child who is obsessional, their gift, their, their little quirk is they like things orderly, but their gift is that they notice patterns. And if someone is left out and sad in the friendship group, they'll be the first to notice if if we can quieten their life down. And, and that is for me what is so hopeful is that I'm not denying there are tendencies. We all have them. But the hope is so great because if over the years, what we've found with we have over 1,200 simplicity parenting coaches and group leaders around the world now, it's a huge movement. And we get this feedback from every different culture is, is that as we simplify their lives, the 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 disorder becomes the genius and becomes the gift. Oh, that 
that's just beautiful. Um, that leaves me a little breathless because I just think I, I was going to ask you, you know, what is simplicity? The idea of simplicity scares some people in our culture because we feel like it's our job as parents to give kids more. And I was going to ask you to talk about the gift of simplicity, but I, I think you just did. I think you just explained it so beautifully that it lets our kids be who they are and who they were meant to be. And mm-hmm. it's just beautiful. And what a gift to finish, figure that out young versus in your 40s, like so yeah. many adults. Yeah. Come it, to realize their gifts Kara, you know, you're right. It is scary, though. It isn't it? It's kind of weird that that um, uh, that giving children a childhood is counterculture. Yeah, uh, yeah, is so strange. But but the I think what I'm seeing because I've been doing this for thirty years now, and I've, I've I've you know been working with kids for a long time. It's like, and they've got their own kids now. It's like I'm a grand therapist or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, I, and those kids that have been given a childhood are raising their child, children simply and in a balanced way. And they're doing really, really well because we're headed into a world where I actually did the numbers on this. I'm not making this up. Over th- In 2015-16, over 32% of all employment was self-employed project-based, part-time, unbenefited work, right? And so I did the math from 2015-16 to 2020-26 and then 2036. And when we reached um, 2030, which is a lot, a lot of our kids will start moving into high school and maybe even college and beyond, uh, the tipping point will be reached that over 50% of all jobs will be, way over 50% will be self-employed. Now, we, the reason I mention that is to be self-employed, that's the world our kids are going into. And, you know, to be self-employed, well, you guys are self-employed, sort of, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. You know, what does it take, may I ask you? What, what If you had to find words for it, like standout words, <sighs> what would they be? Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned lifelong learning earlier, mm-hmm. and that is absolutely the case. You have to um, be willing to keep learning, uh, keep pushing past the idea that you can't figure something out. Right. Um, Research yeah. constantly. Think outside the box. Yeah. I had never yeah. listened to a podcast before Kara suggested that we create one. <laughs> so it's kind of figuring and, mm-hmm. you know, something seeing seeing an idea or a dream and then taking the steps necessary to get there mm-hmm. on your own. See? So seeing an idea or a dream and taking the steps necessary to get there on your own. I mean, that's beautiful. Like, like but doesn't that describe play? Yeah. Yes. Doesn't yeah. That, and, and, yep. right? <laughs> and doesn't problem solving... Doesn't like what you described uh, actually, Kara, is, is I would call grit. You know, when something doesn't work out, figuring how to make it work out, that's mm-hmm. grit. Mm-hmm. Create and that's creative grit. Yeah. Right? And s- so, by over scheduling our kids and never giving them any time to, to be in this deep world of play, what we're doing. Is, is setting them up for a world that no longer exists. Yeah. That highly scheduled world, that highly formed world that they go into and everything is set up for them, 
which is what overscheduling does with sports clubs and you know all this sort of stuff it's mm-hmm. all very scheduled all very worked out and and parents think somehow that's going to give their kids a head start an advantage yeah but it's it's putting them at a disadvantage because that world disappeared in the 60s and 70s mm-hmm. that world is 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 in the past what is in the future is a world where kids need to self create self motivate have a dream and go for it mm-hmm. because they they're not living inside someone else's dream anymore they're creating their own and i think that's wonderful but where do kids develop those qualities that's called play that's yeah. called boredom it's called boredom it's giving kids the gift of boredom mm-hmm. you know and letting them letting them be bored like if my kids come to me and say dad we're bored and the little one says yeah you know and the um i my only response is oh dear mm-hmm. that, that's it <laughs> yeah yeah i love it okay that's so it. i, I was I asked my husband last night, I said, do you remember when the kids were little and I made you go to Madison, which is like an hour and a half from here. So I made you go to Madison to listen to this man speak. And he said, yeah. Oh, yeah, I do remember that. And then we put the TV in the closet. <laughs> and... <laughs> He has. He's still overcoming the trauma. A little bit, yeah, yeah. Um, but but it's okay because it turned out to be you know something that we worked our way through and figured out how to find a good balance for our family, which is which has been good. Mm-hmm. But I remember you saying there. I and I I, I t- say this all the time, so I really hope it's true that um, that that boredom is a gift, but that the step between boredom and creativity is sibling torture. Is that? Is yeah, that something you actually say? <laughs> yeah, it okay, is. I want to make sure I haven't misquoted really you. <laughs> and you've got a couple of kids and they're really, really bored like that. My advice is to separate them for 20 minutes because they'll start taking it out on each other rather than moving forward into creativity. Um, so to separate them for a little while, fine, just say, okay, guys, go be bored in different places, but don't take your boredom out on each other. Really, don't do that, because you know if you just if you just keep kind of walking around, you'll find something really good to do. And whoever finds something good to do first gets to call the other brother or sister over to join in. And so then they're like, "Okay, I'm going to find the best thing first, you know." And so <laughs> off they go. Uh, you know, um, one of the other one mum said to me when her kids say I'm bored, she she says, "Oh, don't worry." Because something good is just around the corner. Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of neat too. You, you wouldn't want to be saying that to a teenager, believe me. I've got one. I, you don't <laughs> say that. But to, but to but to little kids, you know, that's a really good thing. You know, and it's really interesting though, guys, because I I sometimes not so much these days. More people are getting it these days. They get it. But way back, you know, twenty years ago, when I was talking about this and beyond. Uh, even before that, people would say, but the fast pace of life is just the way things are. That's the modern world. We've got to get our kids into that because unless they do, they're just, they're just not going to get a, a good start in life and so on. Um, and, and when I d- briefly describe that actually the world they're moving into is a self-motivated world, not an externally structured world, um, I'm talking about simplicity and balance 
as actually the future. That is, that my big interest in is in neuropsychology has been for a long time. And when kids play, when kids have space, when they're allowed to, bo- to be bored, when they're allowed to just dream, just lay in a tree and dream up some weird thing that they're going to make, <laughs> you know, and then they set about trying to make it and they get totally frustrated that, you know, that, 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 that the rocket that they're planning on building actually doesn't fly as well as they were in and so on and so on. That kind of inquiry, that kind of like, why didn't it work? How can I get it to make but that is myelinating the parts of the brain, literally laying down pathways that will be incredibly useful and important in their future success. So simplicity and, and balance is not a retrograde backward moving little house on the prairie thing. It's actually about preparing our kids for the future and giving them a chance. And frankly, even if we give our kids a little bit of a chance in 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 and holding back the overwhelm, even if they're if we even if we would score them like B, like give them a B grade, <laughs> B minus is the new A because the rest of the kids are wacko. You know, honestly, <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I really shouldn't. But the rest of the kids are so hyper or burnt out or the the you look at the you look at these wartime kids and you think i'm worried about the future uh, of our of of the planet when i look at these kids who are so burnt out Mm -hmm. so so reliant on outer stimulation because we forget screens for example it's someone else's creativity it's not our it's not our kids creativity it's something that someone else has created that our children have passively watch or play within someone else's boundaries. That's not the world they're moving into. The world they're moving into is self-created. So for anyone who's homeschooling, who's taken that really big step to homeschool and to dial things back, I think we can be, we can be, we're being joined by more and more and more people who are not opting out of life, they're opting into their children's future. They're opting oh. in. Oh, oh, that's I good. I love that. Yeah. And I think this is going to resonate with so many homeschoolers and non who are listening right now because we're living through such a, an odd time, um, unprecedented. I feel like that's such an overused word, at buzzword at the moment. But, um, you know, with the pandemic and with social distancing and staying at home more, there is a lot of boredom, I think. And maybe this is new to a lot of people who had all of the structured activities. And I know I just keep seeing and hearing from friends, all the Amazon trucks going back and forth as people are, you know, buying more things. And when you read Simplicity Parenting, you advocate less, fewer toys and fewer books. Could you talk about the importance of kind of whittling down what you have in the bedroom and the home in terms of allowing our children to become who they are. Yeah, you know, I talked about this in a, um, I think it was a podcast uh, that I, I, I do this thing, the Simplicity Diaries, the Simplicity Parenting podcast. <laughs> i got to confess with you, I do it with this little, with my phone po- t- in, in my pocket. And I'm uh, last week I did it while I was shearing our goats. <laughs> Week I, love it. I did 
when I no, really the week before I did it when I was uh, expanding our chicken coop. I mean, you'll hear strange noises in the background <laughs> as I podcast because I run a farm and I'm not going to sit and just yeah you know waste time looking at a screen. But the um, one of the things that I mentioned in this podcast and it's up on our um, Kerry, you were mentioning before, like where can people access? If you want to yeah. access more of this, it's free, of course, and it's up on our website. I do a, I think it was a four-part series on parenting during the pandemic. Um, oh, wonderful. Okay. Yeah, and, and so I would take a deeper dive into it there. But, but Kate, just to answer your question, mm, the, the books, toys, clothes, all that kind of thing, particularly right now, when outside the home, there's so much disorder, the, the world is in disarray, it's almost like Mother Nature has has sent us to our rooms to think about our bad behavior. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's true. like, yeah, and she's not going to let us out until we realize what we've been doing. <laughs> <laughs> Might take a while. <laughs> But I hope when we do come out, we do realize um, that we need a reset in terms of what we're doing, in terms of the overwhelm that is is happening. And, and, and a lot of it is funneling right down to our families. Isn't it interesting that we set up this very complicated life, but when push comes to love, who, who, who are the people who are, who are coping now? It's families. Right? It's mm-hmm. not corporations. It's not schools. It's not Taekwondo instructors or baseball coaches. All that stuff is just external. It's peripheral. When it, when, when it comes right down to it, it's still just us. Now, in terms of books, toys, clothes, when there's so much, as I mentioned, that is in disarray and disorderly outside ourselves, and our kids know it, their rhythms have been all affected. They know it, even if they're little. How beautiful is it when we take our home and make it orderly? And we say to them, the world out there is restructuring. The world out there, it's a little bit, it's a little bit. People are trying to figure this out, sweetheart. And if they ask, you know, just to be able to say, there are good people trying to, trying to figure this out. And they're, they're working hard to help us right now and they're trained for it and um and one of the messages that my friend uh we did a a television program last week uh my um, my friend um the singer songwriter jewel i don't know if do you know jewel Mm -hmm. yeah yeah she has a little boy who she's homeschooling uh who's five cases no he's six now and she um and we were doing this show uh, live called Live from San Quarantine. And um, <laughs> and we were chatting on this sort of TV program. And she said something. She's a lovely person. And she said something that really struck me. She said, you know, uh, someone, uh, so- someone um, asked her, how are you coping right now? And she said... Um, she uh, um, and and her little boy was right with her, and she said, "Oh, we're fine. We are humans. We were made for this. We were made for this." And Case, her little boy, said, "Yeah, we were made for this." And it was such a lovely thing. We are. We were made 
to problem solve like this. Mm-hmm. Now, to to um, to the question, as I've intimated, when out out there is is disorderly, in here in our home can be orderly. We can start culling the number of toys. The average North American child has over 150 toys each. That's each. And and so just to, you know, get some cardboard boxes out and do do a toy cull. All the all the ones that is uh that are annoying, that are developmentally inappropriate, from the unrelenting, gifting, naughty uncle. You know, whatever, <laughs> you know just, just, I <laughs> right? But just put them in a box and put them away. Give them to Goodwill or just put them away, um, and then get down to about ten or twenty toys. Just and cycle them in and cycle them out. Mm-hmm. It's like old friends coming back. Um, books, same thing. Rather than hundreds of books that get used as construction material, just let a child absorb four, five, six books. I subscribe to, 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 the, to, the, to the sort of philosophy that what is rare is precious. And so books are, books are precious. They're really precious. Toys are precious. And so fewer of them gives them higher value, not less, not less. And interestingly enough, when you have fewer and simpler toys, because I've been, I got, I think I said this in the book, um, and there's a new second edition of the book coming out in September, which has got two new chapters, actually, um, and a whole new chapter written about technology, because back when the book was originally published, gosh, we were still talking about Blackberries and you yeah. know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. um, Yep. Television, yep. you know, television was a big, but the but um, uh, one of the things that that we can we can do is we when we reestablish this library of shifting things in, shifting things out, cycling them in, cycling them out, is that kids play better together because if we have simpler toys and fewer of them, it stimulates the limbic system in the brain because a child now has to make something of that cardboard box has to make something of that big piece of old blanket that that whatever it is if they're making things because and they're simpler toys then the same thing part of the brain that is fired with that creativity also fires cooperation so when we have fewer and simpler toys the kids will play better together Try it. Just, just like I, I, I sort of. For me, the, the 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 little gentle challenge is: if you don't believe me, try it because because it works. It works. Simpler and fewer toys re, um, result in more correct, creative, and cooperative play. So, but particularly during this time, um, uh, Kate, for, with your question is that when we have orderliness and spaciousness within our homes. It helps with this feeling of, you know, many parents have said it feels oppressive. It feels like the world is pressing in mm-hmm. at the moment. And if we, so why not have spaciousness in our homes? If, if the, why not have simplicity, space, and that kind of orderliness? I think it helps our children get the message that they're secure that they're safe rather than just saying because if you say to a child you're safe you're safe you're safe what that really means is that why is my mother saying i'm safe 
am I unsafe, mm-hmm. right? This is not a thing about words. It's about rhythm, predictability, and spaciousness, and orderliness. To use the cliche that's come up a lot now more than ever, we need it. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's why... Um, your that book, Simplicity Parenting. I, I I keep wanting to say your book, but of course you've written lots of books and contributed to lots of books. But that book had such a huge impact on me because I felt like our home became a safe haven. Um, the outside world can be overwhelming and scary, and especially for sensitive people and sensitive kiddos. I mean, I just I felt like we. When we started taking the recommendations in your book, we found a peace at home and a safety at home um, that was just invaluable. And now my kids talk about, you know, we didn't have game systems or we didn't have, you know, whatever, and, and they tease me about it. But I think um, I think that they have grown into these creative um people and and i i just so um that's just an aside honestly i'm just thankful thankful for your book um but so i, I that's, do <laughs> that's not an aside Kara. that is that is that, that is that is beautiful that is oh. that is so not an aside that is right to the core of it isn't it you know it's it's our homes being a place of peace it's so important because with all the wars going on and conflict going on all around the world there's not much we can do in that that war but we can declare peace within our homes we can and can feel really good about it it's and it's also not that we're trying to hold our kids out of the world i mean for me it's a little bit like the i i think of what we're doing when we offer our children a childhood and it's almost embarrassing to have to be an advocate for childhood but there we are we are Mm um but I was standing up on a high hill a couple of years ago uh, up on the coast of Maine and I was watching these and there was this big harbour wall, this big round harbour wall and this, and in in through the, that, that little opening, boats came and the harbour master would come out of his house, check them out, you know, how you doing, how's it all going. The boats would come in now inside the harbour wall. It was a place where the fishermen, it was lobster fishermen and a fisherwoman, would come in and they would they would repair, they would recuperate, and they they would um, then prepare for going back out again. But inside that harbour wall, the seas were calm. There was there was this kind of repair going on and recreation going on. Outside, the seas were quite bumpy, mm-hmm. and then they would repair. And they would reprovision, and then back out they would go again, ready to take on what they were going to take on. And it so reminded me of what we can do in our homes. It's not that our kids won't go out into the bumpy seas of life. They will. Mm-hmm. And they'll sail, sail further and further and further out as they get older. But they can sail back to home and have a place where they can repair and reprovision. Mm-hmm. and relax and just and and their nervous systems can reset and then back out they go so it's not that a lot of the times uh parents like us if i may include myself in it uh, uh you know the worry is well aren't you overprotecting your children it's like no 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 what well, it's the opposite 
what we're doing is allowing them a place where they can reprovision and repair from all the little bumps and wounds of friendships, of things that have gone wrong. I've got an 18-year-old daughter who's in relationships and out of relationships. You know, like it's just all this stuff going on. But there's a place where she and and other, you know, and and with all the families listening into this, just feel encouraged to have your place, your home be a place of repair and refuge. Because that then gives them the resiliency when they're out there. Because they will be going out there. They yeah. are. They do. But but they go out better able to actually navigate it. And if I may add one thing to this metaphor, they then will navigate to their true north, not to the magnetic north of toxic popular culture, and end up end up someplace very stormy and being swamped. And going yeah. down. When they do go out prepared like this, they can navigate better. And it's so it's not that we're being overprotective, trying to hold back the world. It's it's we're trying to get them ready for the world in a developmentally sensitive way. Oh, developmentally sensitive. I love that. This episode is sponsored by KiwiCo. KiwiCo is an award-winning monthly subscription crate with hands-on projects that make learning about science, technology, art, geography, culture, and math fun. Everything KiwiCo produces is designed by experts and tested by kids. KiwiCo spends over 1,000 hours designing and testing every single crate. From geography and culture to engineering and design to science and art and more, Kiwi offers crates for everyone. Carrie, you just had some boxes arrive at your house, right? Yes. If people have been following along on Instagram, my daughter is loving the Eureka crates so much. She has just made a perpetual calendar. So one of those where like you flip it and it's it changes the date and the day at the same time. So she's been keeping it on her like little bedside table and she just loves it. Um she made I feel a like I need that right now. Yeah, right, right. Um <laughs> she made us a soap dispenser for our bathroom. So it's like fancy, like you're at a restaurant or airport or something. Um, and right now she's actually working on putting together a lap desk. What about you guys? We recently enjoyed my boys made a pinball machine and a ukulele with Eureka Crate. And then we also made our own soap with a doodle crate, soap in a soap dish, which was really fun. The kids made me a light green soap with a dark green leaf in the center. Oh. Because I like nature. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. It was super fun. Oh, wow. Okay. So to learn more about all the crates KiwiCo has to offer and to pick which ones your kids would like best, go to KiwiCo.com slash homeschool sisters. That's KiwiCo.com slash homeschool sisters. Sisters listeners who follow this link will get a free trial promotion. You'll get the first month free. You only need to pay shipping, $4.95 in the U.S. or $9.95 for international. This episode is sponsored by Home Science Tools. Home Science Tools offers homeschool curriculum kits and tons of science kits to help your kids get hands-on with their learning. Home Science Tools homeschool curriculum kits enrich children's learning and comprehension through kinesthetic exploration and application. They're conveniently bundled kits that help you conduct hands-on lab experiments using the curriculum of your choice. And they help you avoid the annoying goose chase of tracking down obscure supplies. That's something I personally love so much. <laughs> <laughs> 
Home Science Tools' diverse portfolio of science kits enables curious learners to investigate what interests them, supports and develops important life skills, and provides convenient, affordable home learning experiences. The Coronavirus Education Kit is one of these, and we got to try it here, and we learned so much. It was such a cool, hands-on way to learn more um, about different um, techniques and why some are more effective when you're washing your hands. Um, it really drove home the point of like social distancing and how far a cough or a sneeze can travel. And I think the part that we enjoyed most was you get to track down the source of a hypothetical virus and figure out where it started and how it spread. And it was just really, really fascinating. And we enjoyed it a lot. That's really cool, and I can't wait to do that this week with my kiddos. Home Science Tools has created a fantastic homeschool portal page that you can find at homesciencetools.com slash homeschool hyphen science. It includes specific product suggestions, resources, tips, and advice for homeschoolers. And they've created a promo code just for our listeners that you can use to get 15% off curriculum kits valid through July 2nd. Just use the code 20 KCKIT15 at checkout at homesciencetools.com. Again, that's 20KCKIT15 at checkout at homesciencetools.com. And we'll add those links in the coupon codes to our show notes at thehomeschoolsisters.com. Um, I, I want to ask you, because we get this question a lot, and I think that part of it is a lot of homeschoolers, we kind of feel like we've gotten off that treadmill a little bit that so many families are on, and we decide to homeschool our kids, and then immediately the first question we get hit with is, well, how will you socialize them? <laughs> and so a lot of families ask us, literally, they want a recommendation for how many days should we be out of the house? How many activities should my kids be involved in? And so I want to open that up to you and ask you, because I know in your book you talk about in-breaths and out-breaths and the, you know, having the, when you go out, but then having time at home to restore from that time of busyness and what's the word I'm looking Frenzy. for? Stimulus. <laughs> Stimuli out there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when we started homeschooling, um, we contacted other homeschoolers, you know, as many of us will. And what quickly occurred to Catherine, my wife and I, is that uh, is that we could easily not be homeschooling, but we would be what we came to call road schooling. We would just be driving all over the place. And that the thing that we were trying to opt out of, we would just recreate, mm -hmm. only now it would be more stressful right um what also one of the things that that occurred to that happened is this thing about socializing i think a child's ability socially is the biggest thing that homeschooling has got going for it you know because if we think about socializing we've got a catherine and i had to shift what we understood as social and again, my background in neuropsychology 
could I couldn't help I, and I you know the the jury is in on this I'm not making this up it's not my original thought is that there's three processes of normalization there's three processes three de developmental stages that kids go through in order to be social the first one up until about the age of 9 is that a child's socialization happens primarily in a smaller concentric circle smaller and it's called home it's called family and that's primarily where a child will learn how to be social how what what are the, what are, and that's where we can give our values to our children rather than having them have values given by all kinds of other people who may not share our values at all so there's this big bedrock. I write about this in the Soul of Discipline book where I talk about the journey from the governor in the early years to the gardener in the tween years to the guide in the teenage years. Mm. Governor, gardener, guide. Is that in the first seven, eight, even nine years, the socializing is primarily at home. Of course, with some little friends coming over. Of course, with some, some engagement. But but it's not far away from home. That's the big bedrock. And then about eight, nine, ten, things start shifting. And then the the children's uh, friendship group grows a little bit. And then we might we we might be thinking we're we're going to go to the park for an afternoon a week and join a um, a community sport agriculture and have and go and 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 help in the garden. Or we might you know. It's, but it's still my my recommendation for 10, 11, 12 year olds is that when they start going out the home like that, they go out to places of value that reflect the family's values. If you value organic uh, vegetables and fruits, then maybe you all go out and you volunteer at a, at a farm, at a, at, a, at a community supported agriculture. If you value um, helping those with less, you go out and you connect with 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 um, with food kitchens, with soup kitchens, with with places that if whatever it is that you value, the first step out the home should be to places of value, not some random thing that's got nothing to do with raising a moral, ethical, value-based child. And so they'll be then socializing based on the value that the home life has given them so you're not in conflict so think about it as the first circle in is that you're giving the child the values of compassion of respectfulness of care for those who have less of care for animals of care for the environment and the planet these are all the values that so many of us share so when it comes to socializing my recommendation to any homeschooler and we did this and it was wildly successful really is then the next step out for us when the children were 9, 10, 11 were to places that shared those values. So they had all kinds of people around them who were digging, who were planting, who were serving. And it was it was just beautiful. We, we, we did all kinds of things. Then the next step out is that's the peer group, right? So, so the, the big foundations of family life, then the next 
um, stone to mix my metaphors on that are these places activities of values and then the third one is that kids when they're 15 16 they will have peers that obviously they will start to form peer groups um, and that will be important but the peer groups that they form uh, will be very very different and and here's here's the interesting thing Kara, to this great question is that when the peer group start to do something that is not okay, that drug use comes in, alcohol abuse comes in, petty crime starts coming in, vandalism, self-harm, whatever it is that's going on, then when we've raised kids this way, that's honestly, we've been banking relational and value credits. We've just been putting values in the bank. Because when that, that boy is on the verge of, there he is, and his friends are vandalizing something, does he take part or not? Does he or doesn't he? And that is, for me, truly, it's not socializing, it's social. It's more than socializing. It's social. And that then sets children on a ramp into adult life where they will be major contributors movers shakers people who carry ethics and the studies uh, um of, of of daniel goldman are all about they're the people when he wrote the book working with emotional intelligence they're the high-flying corporate executives the the people who have happy construction companies whatever it is but they're the people who are happy in the workplace so social doesn't mean the number of activities it's not again what is rare is precious and so we took the risk with our own kids of not going that route as thousands and tens of thousands of other people involved in the simplicity movement have also taken that risk. And there's, there's, it's a little bit, there's the painful years, I think, honestly, because particularly if you're holding back screens from your kids and they're, they're 8, 9, 10, 11, even 12, and they still don't have an iPhone, imagine that. Um, and they are, they're the painful years. 15, 14, 15 are really painful if you're trying to uh, keep, keep it relatively low tech. Um, a computer, but it's in a public space. The kids don't have their own phones. That is a Pandora's box of disaster. So they have, they have access, but it's via the family. Still, it's via the family because they're going to have another 60 years, 70, 80, hopefully years, where they can do whatever they want. But for these years, if we give the kids these kinds of values, the, the, the friendships that they develop will be quality. They won't necessarily be quantity. I get that. Mm -hmm. But they will be quality. And I know it for a fact. I don't know much, but I do know that. Yeah. Aww. Well, we want to thank you so much for being with us today. Um, this has just been wonderful. And um, we'd love to have you back sometime because, of course, we have more questions for you, but we want to respect your time. <laughs> um, so thank you for being here. And before, thank you so um, much. Yeah, before you go, um, is there anything that you'd like to share? I know um, you said the Simplicity Diaries. We'll make sure to link to that in the show notes as well as all of the books that you have written and where people can find you. But um, is there anything else at all that uh, will help people connect with you? 
I think where people can connect with this message is honestly, it's within their own it's within their own hearts. Mm. <laughs> really, that's where the connection really is. Where it virtually is is at simplicityparenting.com and that, but that's a, like a like all good homepages. That's just a portal to the podcast, to the courses we offer, to connecting with other parents. That's just the place that you know that that um, collects it all together. There's a whole there's but there's there's videos there. There's all kinds of simple stuff. Um, yeah, that's the portal. But really, the real connection is within our own instinct. To, to give our children a childhood. And I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to, to speak with you both today. Thank you so much and for all you do. Oh, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. And uh, thank have you a wonderful so day. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye.